welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Praise the Lord. I'm grateful for the way the service opened this morning, Pastor Ham. Thank you. Thank you for the scripture. Just I was reading this morning, actually, and I, I, it's kind of related to the message. A quotation from, because uh, you started from that scripture, I'm not ashamed. Uh, the preaching of the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God unto salvation. And uh, Campbell Morgan, the great preacher, said this, there are people who look upon the cross of Christ as vulgar. We agree that this is the most vulgar object in the history of the world. But whose vulgarity is it? Not that of the God's Son who gave his blood to wash away our sin. Its vulgarity is of those who nailed him and who blasphemously deny its necessity. It is the vulgarity of those who by criticizing the Bible make light of sin. Because God's altar in ancient days was and often repulsive to men, men try to sanitize it by planting groves of trees around it. The sacrifice is awful, but we must preach the glory, wonder of the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, friends. It is the only thing in this planet worth declaring, the only thing that is hope. Amen. If you have a Bible this morning, please turn to the book of Samuel, Second Samuel chapter 6. I'm going to read a well-known passage for the Bible readers. I hope to give you a little bit of background if you're new to the gospel. And uh, Lord, we pray as we come around your word today, Father, that you will speak to all our hearts, God, that your name will be honored, glorified, lifted up, Father, that you will speak deeply to our own spirits, God. We will leave here, Lord, changed, Lord, not the same way, Lord, but we will leave here changed, God, knowing, Lord, your presence, Lord, and knowing your life-transforming power, and that our lives, Lord God, will be given for the glory of God and for the sake of the lost, Father. We ask for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 2 Samuel, in chapter 6, reading from verse 14. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord, set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And then David, when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both men, both women and men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat and a cake of raisins, so that all the people departed, everyone to his house. And David returned to bless his household, and Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of those base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And so David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore I would play music before the Lord, and I will even more undignified than this will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maid servants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Then Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. She was barren 
from the day of her death. Now we know Michal is the do- was the wife of David. See, David, you know, David from the youngest of age, he started writing the Psalms. He was a young musician. He was a shepherd boy, the youngest of uh, a load of brothers, seven brothers, and uh, forgotten really, but a man that was incubated in the presence of God. He's the man that wrote, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. From the very, very youngest of ages, he understood the presence of God. He was able to write you things like this in Psalm. He says, Thou hast shown me the pathway of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand even pleasures forevermore. Even at the youngest of age, he discovered something so wondrous in his presence. That's where the fullness of joy is, friends. There's joy in many things in this world. From I said last week, from grandchildren to friendships and to beautiful places and experiences. But the fullness, friends, is in Christ. The fullness of joy, friends. Thou who show me the path of life in thy presence, this fullness of joy, Psalm 16 and 11. He wrote in uh, Psalms uh, 10.22, The blessings of the Lord make rich and adds no sorrow at all. Hallelujah. The scripture is full of the redeemed, of the Lord returning, singing unto Zion. And the Bible says, everlasting joy shall be upon their head. And this is the heart of this man. This man has become king. The promise of God was upon him. He had to go through many a season, many a year where he was fleeing from Saul, his nemesis who tried to destroy him. Saul being the first king of Israel. But yet David had that anointing upon him. God had called him to lead the nation. And it was many, many years on the run away from Saul's armies that his faith was tested. And there's always a test of faith, friends. There's always a test. The Bible says, in the fire of affliction, I've chosen you. And sometimes you might be even in the fire now. You might be under fire. You might be under pressure as a Christian. But to know that that is the very place where God is building character and doing something in your life and through your life so that you have not a theory, but a testimony. Amen. It's not to talk about suffering. Well, I, you know, I know suffering is part of the course. Never suffered myself, of course. That's not the testimony of the Christian. And Paul tells us that the husband man must be first to partake. So friends, we as ministers and you as believers in the Lord, we all partake in the sufferings of Christ, friends, in the indignation of the cross. And in that journey, we hold fast our confidence that he who began the good work will bring it to completion. Amen. He who put a plan, he who spoke a word over your life, he who came to you in those moments and said, I have something for you, he will bring it to pass. And that was David's journey. The journey of a promise to one day be the king of Israel. And yet in that journey, writing such beautiful experiences of his walk in life and his walk with God. How he rejoiced in adversity. There was times of despair, yes. He was a man that faced incredible calamities around him. But yet he had found the fullness, friends. He had found the path of life in his presence. And now here he is at the reading of 2 Samuel. He has now become the premier. He is now the king of Israel. The second king, just as God had promised him. And, you know, he's in his palace. He's in David's city and he's there and he's thinking, you know, it's not really enough. I'm not content. You can have all that this world has to offer and still thirst, friends. That's the reality because the thirst of man is the thirst for God. And David, who had known in the midst of a desert, he'd known the presence of the Lord. You know, he wrote that psalm and he said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. 
He said, he had experiences of God that no opulence of a palace, no exaltation of reputation, no power, no delights of this world, friends, would ever compare to the presence of God. And so here he is in his city. He is now the king. And his desire is to bring the Ark of the Covenant up into Jerusalem so that God would be honored and the presence of God would be there. Because I'm telling you, once you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, everything else, friends, is like... It's like sawdust in your mouth. Everything else is secondary. And every Christian who knows what I was speaking about this morning knows that as a testimony. You can have all what this world has to offer you and still thirst, but to know him. And that's David's heart. David's heart was to bring the very Ark of the Covenant up into Jerusalem. And there was a story, just a history to that Ark, of course. The Ark symbolized the presence of God. The ark was where the, the mercy seat was. The ark was positioned in the tabernacle of old in, in the desert, in the Sinai desert with Moses. It was, it was, it was placed in the most holiest of place where God once a year that would meet and take away the sins of the people. The atonement would be made on Yom Kippur when the priest would go in once a year and offer that blood sacrifice as a symbol of covering the sins of the nation. It's there where the God would come down between the cherubim and the glory of God would come into that inner sanctum. And so Israel had known the presence of God. But this ark, of course, there's a history, and I can't go through all the history with you, but it was something that turned, became a sort of political uh, and a bit of a bartering issue with the Jews. They'd failed to revere the presence of God and used the things of God to indemnify their own foolishness. Many people do that. Many people quote the Bible. To, to, to indemnify their own foolish practice and foolish lifestyle. They, they use it out of context, but they misuse it all the time. As the ark of the Lord was used out of context, so the word of the Lord today, friends, can be so easily misquoted, so easily used to justify something that is unjustifiable. Completely out of the purposes of God. People hijack the things of God all the time. People are always trying to get in on the act. You know, I was warned in the early stages of ministry as a minister that to be very careful who you let into your pulpit, no matter how big name the ministry is, no matter how much money they have or how much notoriety, if it's not pure, if it's not right, if it's not holy, if it's not based upon the Word of God, have nothing to do with it. Don't truck with it. The temptation to auction off the truth of God for some sort of quasi-unity or for some quasi-peace, friends, there is no peace until the Prince of Peace comes. And David had that sense of value he wanted in his kingdom. He wanted the worship of God to be central. He desired it. And, and so the Ark of the Lord was in the house covered a man called Obed-Edom. It was residing there for six months, I think it was. But it was in this house, and this house experienced nothing but blessing. And there was a, David made a mess of it, friends. You know, he wanted the things of God, but he did it the wrong way. That's the history coming up to this point in the scripture. He wanted what's right, but he was doing it the wrong way. And I think about the sincerity of a lot of people today. They're sincerely looking to do the right thing, but are doing it the wrong way, friends. You may sincerely break the speeding rules here in the city, not knowing it's a 30 mile an hour zone, but you still break the rules. And in the post will come the, uh, the, the, the fine, I can promise you, the catching everybody these days with cameras. But sincerity of heart, I believe with all my heart that the sincere man, the honest man, the honest woman will find God. I hope you can say amen, amen. 
because that's God is only looking for sincerity and honesty. He's looking for hearts of men and women. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord will go to and fro this earth to see whose heart and mind is totally his. Those who are seeking me, the Bible says, will find me if they search me with all your heart. And maybe those some here this morning, maybe, maybe some watching this broadcast today or later time, you may hear those words. I want to tell you, keep on your journey. You're not far from God. If you desire God, he is knocking on the door of your heart. You come to the right place this morning. And David knew the presence of God. He knew this. He knew the power of the Holy Spirit. He knew when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, not only just to write scripture, friends, and to write these most eloquent psalms and prophetic psalms, but he also knew the power of God when it came to, you know, when the bear would come and the lion came to steal his sheep. He understood the power of God and he was able to rescue them. So this is a man that has now become center place. He is the king after all these years and his heart is waning because he desires the presence of God. And the ark of the Lord has been brought up to Jerusalem. And now David eventually gets it right. You can read the, the previous couple of chapters. You can see David got it wrong. And many times we get things wrong as Christians, friends, and God has to chastise us. And many times, whether it's sincere or whether it's out of something a bit more malevolent in our hearts, let me tell you, God still loves you, amen. God wants to bless you. The hands of God is not to bruise it, to hurt you, friends. The hand of God is to restore you. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of everlasting. Because we're all prone to our own half-cocked ideas to try to do things for God. But God says, you come to me and you come to me my way, amen. That's why I always said to people, there's not many roads to God. There's only one road to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father except through me. No matter how sincere people are, they will still have to come the way of the cross. They will still have to come the way of Christ. They may not know the full detail of what that way means, friends. They may not know the forensic understanding of the cross. They may not understand the forensic understanding of Christ himself. But that is the way in which men can only come into the presence of God. And David learned that it was absolutely a proper way to bring God's presence in. And so he adapted that. He now is bringing the Ark of the Covenant into, into the city of David. And there is a joy in this man. Oh, I tell you, friends, there's a joy in him. Because, you see, he knows something that most of other people don't know. He knows that in his presence, I will repeat it so much this morning, in thy presence there is fullness of joy. You see, there is only joy, friends, but there's also the fullness of joy. And David understood this, you know, some trust in horses, he said, some trust in chariots, but I'm going to trust in the name of my God. And so that was the way David lived with all his weaknesses. And again, when you, when you read the scriptures, that's what I love about the Bible. The Bible's not a book of propaganda, not like other religious manuscripts out there that, you know, talk about their prophet never doing anything wrong. Hint, hint. I want to tell you, the Bible tells you the good, the bad, and the indifferent of every man and woman that ever tried to serve God. It doesn't hide their sin. It doesn't sanitize them. But it comes and says, there's a God who's much more powerful than your failure. Amen. That rescues you every time. All we like sheep go astray. And that's the story of the Bible. God, who's merciful. Amen. God, who's above it 
all. God who surrounds you. I love that song. He goes before me. Amen. He goes before me. I don't know about you, but I was singing that and I'm thinking about, you know, someone walking down a dark road and it's turning a bend and you're not sure if there's someone waiting to get you. Praise God. I don't know. Maybe this morning you're thinking there's something around the corner waiting to get you. I want to tell you this, that God goes before you. Amen. Hallelujah. He says, you stay there. I'll go around that corner for you. Amen. I'll tackle whatever it is. So whatever's coming down the road, he tackles it first. Amen. And so David understood the presence of God. And he's rapturous in his joy. He's so joyful, friends, that he takes off his kingly apparel. And he wears a linen ephod, that was, which was given to a priest. And the Bible says he starts to dance before the Lord. And actually, fact, it says he, died, he danced mightily before the Lord. And, you know, some of the old Jewish Hebrew words for that word means that he turned cartwheels. Uh, Turn cartwheels across the floor. Amen. Oh, I want to tell you, friends, something hit this man. That the presence of God was coming into his kingdom. Because without it, it was useless, friends. It was meaningless. It's like you can have all this world has to offer. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What does it matter, friends, if you get climb the corporate ladder? What does it matter if you manage to get enough money saved to retire young? You're going to die anyhow. You're going to leave it all behind. It's only a matter of time when your body will waste out. What does it matter if you get that promotion at the end of the day, friends? Because without him, it means it's meaningless. Life has no meaning. It has no meaning, friends. And when life loses its meaning, people end up in despair. And David knew this. And David could have said, I've made it now. I'm rich. I've got good things laid up for the rest of my life. I can look after me, my, my own. I'm the king. I can move around the wealth. But no, there was something missing. And when that something, that someone started to appear, the presence of the Lord, the ark is brought. He's rejoicing with great joy. He dances before the Lord. And you know, there's something when a man and woman experiences the presence of God. This is how you will always know, friends, when someone truly has the joy of the Lord, there's a benevolence that flows from them. Hallelujah. When you know that you've been forgiven, when you know that you are loved, when you know that God has poured his grace upon your life, when you know that your eternity is secure, that your future is in the hand of God, it produces a joy inside of the Christian. We talked about it last week, the joy of the Lord being our strength. And here we see this baptism of joy, this overwhelming joy hitting David as he begins to dance before the Lord. His joy, friends, spills over and I'll tell you one thing, you can't leave this house this morning in the, in the joy of the Lord and be indifferent to the suffering of the world around you. There's something very fake about that. There's something very unauthentic, friends, because the joy of the Lord, rejoicing in the presence of the Lord, doesn't just become contained, you know, religion is just a private issue. I had my private time with God in Cork Church this morning, did my little Pentecostal two-step, but I go out there to a world and I'm indifferent to it. No, friends. That's not the heart of what God produces in the true believer. Amen. In the true believer, God produces a benevolence. God produces something in him that begins to overflow to a lost world. You know, that's what happens. You know, Garrett comes up this morning, speaks and touches our heart. Why? Because God put something in him. Why would we want to go to Zambia? They're not our race or our people. What have we got in common? I want to tell you, friends, we got in common one thing. The, the love that God has, he's put in, put on, shed abroad in our heart. Amen. And it's the love of God motivates us. 
That's what the Apostle Paul says, the love of God compels me. It's a wonderful thing, friends, to be able to talk to people about Feet Cork, the wonderful organization that Hamp and the team are heading up, and to say this is all done because God generated something in our heart for people who can give us nothing. Sometimes not very nice people. The most of the people that come in are fantastic. But sometimes those come in and, oh, why are you giving me two of them? I don't want two of them. Uh, why don't you have this brand of tea bag? You, know? and, uh, you have an element of that that come in that are completely entitled, completely, you know, uh, you know, no thankfulness in their hearts. And yet, it doesn't matter, amen, because God has shed abroad his love in our hearts, amen. That's what happens to a man or a woman that understands his presence. And, and David, that spills over into benevolence. He gives out bread, he gives out meat, he gives out a cake of raisins. Oh, friends, there's something about the presence of God. I want to check your heart. I want you to check your heart this morning because you have been in the presence of God, but sometimes you can be in the presence of God and be only on the outside looking in. Sometimes you can be exposed to what others are exposed to. And you watch them, you see them, and you see their joy for the Lord. And all that fills you is nothing but a cantankerous, you know, pointing at the finger, critical mentality. And sometimes, you know, you're in a very dangerous situation if that's you today. If you're here at this church and watching this broadcast, and all you can do is point the fingers there, they're too animated. They're too fanatical. They're too undignified. Because that's what David's wife saw. She looked at her husband. She didn't think it was fitting a king to take off his kingly robe. You know, David was putting away his self-image, friends. Hallelujah. Sometimes you let your self-image get in the way. Oh, I'm stirred, but I don't want anyone to see me lifting up a holy hand. It's not me, really. Oh, I, you know, I don't want to get animated. I don't want to shout the praises of God from my heart. You know, boxing God in. You know, re restraining and, and, and limiting the Holy One of Israel. That was a sin, friends. To limit the Holy One of Israel. God said it was a sin. You know, to limit Him. Is my hand too short that I cannot save? And so, as He is rapturous, David is so excited, friends. Brothers and sisters... You know, do you know who's here this morning with us? We're so delighted to have Garrett Hayes and his wonderful wife, but more important, we got the presence of the Holy Ghost. When two or three are gathered, we broke bread this morning, first time in 20 months, I think it was. We broke bread here today, friends, and we met with God. And the Holy Spirit is here, and some are on the outside looking in. And some are stepping back and they're seeing the joy on the faces of others. And they're despising them because they can't shake off their own image. David is knocked back and some people will come to you and say, you're too fanatical in your worship. You're too expressive. You're too full on. Can you not drum it down a little bit? Can you not just become like me? Joyless. You know, watch your image. You need to live up to an image. You're a king. You don't need to be so fanatical. You don't know, you're just on the edge of things. You need to be more ambassadorial. You need to be more regal. But I want to tell you, friends, emotionalism doesn't bring the presence of God. But I want to tell you, when the presence of God comes, you can't shut down emotion. You can't, friends. You can't spectate the presence of God and the glory of God and sit back and fold your arms and say, that was really nice to see God move here this morning. Let me tell you, God didn't move. He certainly didn't move on you to be able to have some sort of ridiculous response to the presence of God. 
If I left here this morning or you left and you met some alien or spaceship outside the door, you wouldn't come back and go, I just missed an alien. It was very interesting, actually. If you ran into God, Jesus himself and all his glory, walked down the side of Connell Street there, and all of a sudden he appeared to you, you wouldn't say, oh, very nice old chap, nice to see you this morning. Thank you, God bless you. No, 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 friends. Something would stir in your heart, you see. Something, you, would be, you would fall down like dead, first of all, and when you get up, you'd have a story to tell, and that story you would tell, let me tell you. And so when we come into the presence of God, many, you can spectate, you can sit, sit at the back, you can just hang in there, you can hold on to your image. I'm Mr. Cool. I don't lift up hands. That's not who I am. You know, I want to tell you, no matter who you are, when you let the Holy Spirit touch you, something begins to trigger in your life. Amen. I'm telling you, when the real thing starts to happen, we probably have to restrain ourselves because David turned cartwheels. David danced before the Lord and his wife, Michal, looked on and she just didn't look like it's too fanatical for her. It's too unintellectual. It's not socially normal for you to be like this. But David is touched by the presence of God. David is moved by the presence of God. His joy extends out. And I want to tell you, friends, I, I'm always motivated on Sunday. You know, I know that Monday can try to rob it from me. But Sunday morning and Wednesdays after services, they're my peaks because I'm so stirred. I want to do something for the Lord. I know that the birds of the air can come back down on a Tuesday morning and take a lot of that. But thanks be to God, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave me there. He doesn't leave you there. He comes again. He begins to water those seeds of promises in your life. He begins to stir your heart again. Thank you, Jesus, that you have haven't just left me in a one preach wonder, amen. You haven't let me in a one moment wonder in time where, where, where I have to just make it up myself. He goes before you. He goes behind you. He's ab- above you. He's beneath you. Where can I go from your presence, David wrote? If I take the wings of the morning, if I go to the very depths of the sea, even there your right hand is with me. He knew something, folks. He knew in the midst of darkness, in the middle of a den of a dollop, when the armies of Saul were surrounding him, when the Philistines had a death warrant on his head, friends, when everybody was ready to turn him in, he knew the joy of the Lord was his strength. He knew the presence of God was with him when he could have taken his enemy's life, when he snuck up and saw it and he could have killed him. Oh, friends, let me tell you, friends, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He didn't repay evil with evil. Why? Because the presence of God had so shaped him. David's joy would bring him into a greater revelation. We'll come to that afterwards. But I want to talk about his wife, Michal. The religious self-righteous always because of their pride. They fail to humble themselves. When they see others humbling themselves, they become judgmental. We see that even in Jesus, Simon the Pharisee, when that woman came and touched, that woman of low reputation came and and washed his feet with her tears. Oh, if they only knew what that woman was. If he was a holy man, he wouldn't let her touch him. It's amazing how the religious judgment can rise up in the hearts of people. Michal looked through a window, the Bible says, she despised David in her heart. She despised the humble-hearted. Oh, the folly of gazing through a window and never walking through the open door. When Jesus said, that door has been opened between God and man, when that when that tabernacle, when that, when that curtain was torn top to bottom, friends, and God opened the way into his presence, you can just look at it from a distance, but you, or you can walk through it, friends. 
The Bible says the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him. That's why I enjoyed that scripture this morning in Hamburg, the preaching of the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God unto salvation to every man, every woman, every boy, every girl that would believe. It's foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. As I said previously, it's too fanatical for some, too unintellectual for others. It's not respectable enough for others. Too emotional. It's not cool enough for another few. You may tap away on your phone all you want this morning. You can keep your head down all you want. You can keep your image of daddy cool if you wish. But I want to tell you, there is no life there. There is no hope there in that living. And God has opened a door to the veil of his son, Jesus Christ, to his body on the cross for you and I, to experience him in the most revelatory way to enjoy him and to live a life of benevolence and love. Not that it's, it's a resource from us, but it comes within us, friends, because it's of God himself. It's a river of life that flows. A river of life, Jesus said, that out of your most inner being will flow rivers of living water, that you and I would become fountains of God's love, that you and I would walk as fountains of God's grace, that you and I would be so touched by his presence that this benevolence and this love will go and touch a sin-sick, broken world. It's not that there's any money or notoriety for Garrett Hayes to go to Zambia. Let me tell you, I've been there many times. 750,000 AIDS orphans roam her streets. A broken, a generation completely lost through the AIDS epidemic. A broken civilization, if, you ever, if there ever was one, was Zambia. Nothing there, friends, to be exploited. But I'm telling you, why do you go? Because of the love of God. The benevolence of God. Why I've experienced God. I've known you in the secret place. I've beheld your power and glory, he says. And because your, your, your love is greater, my lips shall glorify thee. Christianity is not a spectator sport, friends. It's full. It's full on. It's engaging. Full contact. None of this touch rugby, amen. It's full contact. It's not to be set down and engaged upon a one to ten scale how the pastor did this morning at the worship band. It's about the presence of God. It's about drawing in. It's about hearing him. It's about relating to him. It's about letting him touch you when you touch him. Letting it, let, it's coming away with a testimony rather than a theory. It's coming out of the house of God this morning. So I felt the presence of God. It touched my life and I touched him. And so out of this incredible thing, his wife, and she was a good wife in many other ways to him. She protected him at one stage when his life could have been taken from him. She favored him to her own father's soul at a moment. But something came into her life. Something came into her spiritual journey where it was all a bit too much. She wanted the trappings of just being a princess. I hope there's no prima donnas here this morning. Little princesses or little princes. Make it all about the cosmetic. Nothing deep in you. Nothing really spiritual, nothing really grounding, nothing really powerful in you, just nothing other than looking the part. I want to tell you that's not what Christianity is about. It's not about looking the part. I want to tell you, friends, I'm sick of looking the part. God, this world doesn't need another religious person. It needs a Christian person. 
doesn't need another religion. It's got enough religion. It needs a religion that would trust in their God. Amen. And move with the power of God and let the love of God be that motivator in your life. Oh, friends, we are the fanatical ones. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry if that offends you. We are the unintellectual ones, according to some. I would argue that we are the most intellectual. But to some, we are unintellectual and we're not respectable. There's an old song, we should never be respectable. If that world never starts to accept you and put their arms around you, you better get nervous because you've missed something. That world will always be at enmity with the things of the Spirit. The world is your enemy, friends, but we're the best friend that they ever had. The world is your enemy, but we're their best friend. And God has set you apart, set his Holy Spirit in you to worship him, to live a life. And she said, as, as I am lifted up, Jesus said, I, I will draw them onto me. Now we know it spoke of the cross, but it speaks much wider than just the cross. There's an exaltation of Christ 2,000 years later, friends, because we preach Christ Jesus and him crucified. Foolishness. Scandalous. Scandal to the Jew. Foolishness to the Greek. But that's who we preach. But to those who will believe upon him, to as many that would call upon his name, the Bible says, to them he gave the power to become sons and daughters of the living God. Hallelujah. Don't be a spectator, either in worship or in your life. Don't be riding the coattails of your mom and dad's relationship or the worship band as they become animated and love God as they worship God. Or the ministers, oh friends, enter in. Don't be looking through that window and criticizing others around you. Oh, look at he's this and she's that. And look at her. Who does she think she is anyway? And look at the worship band. Oh, she's got her issues and he's got his issues. Oh friends, don't become like Mikkel because she was barren to the day she died. She bore no fruit. And there's so many Christians that you're not bearing fruit. You're barren spiritually. You've produced nothing. You can tell everybody what's wrong in church, what they're all doing wrong. They're all walking wrong, but my Johnny, that's what that woman said when the cadets were all marching on graduation day and all the moms and dads were out looking and one woman turns to her, another woman, she said, oh, they're all marching wrong, but my Johnny... Don't be like that, friends. Don't bear that sort of grudge in your heart. Don't be like a McKill. Where I tell you, the end of that life is fruitlessness. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, meekness, gentleness, self-control. The Bible says there is no law against these things. If you want to see where you are this morning in the Spirit, gauge yourself against that statement. How much love is flowing? How much kindness? How much meekness? How much gentleness? How much self-control? And if you can't take off copious amounts there, friends, then you need to get into the presence of God. You need to start worshiping God because in his presence, that's where the fullness comes into your life to see. Up to that point, all you have is an intellectual perception of what the gospel is. But we are not to just intellectually perceive. We are meant to be first to partake. Don't be a hollow Christian and talk about church and worship and not know how to lift your voice to the Lord. And abandon your own self of coolness or image or whatever it may be. Oh God, help us to not be so foolish with the, with the things of God. Oh God, help us, Lord. Not to be, go to a place where we're not able to be moved by the presence of the Lord. Become so proper. I was, for the sake of John and Catherine, I was going to say so English. But you know what I'm saying. 
There's no decorum, friends, when God touches you. You're ready to explode. <laughs> You're ready, but there's a joy that's... The Bible says unspeakable and full of glory. There's a joy that rises up in you because the presence of God produces something in you. And you know the, the thing about the presence of God was here this morning, but many spectate. And many look from the outside. Even though you're in here, you're looking from the outside. You're not moving in. And you're going to be barren, joyless the rest of your life. You, you, might, you might be the best academic. You might end up with the best career and the best job and the biggest salary in this congregation. But you'll have no love. You'll have no joy. You'll have no peace. You'll have no kindness, meekness, gentleness, or self-control. But in his presence... That's where we belong, friends. And David knew it. And as David began to exalt Jerusalem, as he began to exalt Christ, the chief of everything, I love in chapter 7, as David was trying to build a house for the Lord. You know, we build a house of praise for him here. We build a house of praise. The Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. There's something supernatural that happens, and God begins to move as we begin to worship him. As we begin to draw his presence, as we come in faith, the Holy Spirit begins to descend in and the equation becomes swiftly moved to a positive situation, friends. What seems now to be negative in the past, God turns around because his presence changes everything. And oh, David, David knew this. He knew it was nothing to have Jerusalem without God. He knew it. And he didn't realize the extent of what he did because, you know, as you begin to do something for the Lord, as you begin to lift up him, as you begin to worship him, let me give you a verse that, that the prophet gave to David just in the very next chapter, chapter 7 and verse 11. And the prophet said to tell David this, the Lord tells you he will make you a house. Hallelujah. As we build a house of praise here, friends, in my father's house, there is many mansions, he says. And I go to prepare a place for you. And as you begin to build a place of praise and worship and honor for the presence of God and make him the chief joy in your life, he's going to tell David, I'm building you a house. And of course, that house was the tent of his own body, a body thou hast prepared for me. David even wrote it prophetically, Psalm, 42, Psalm 40, verse 7. A body thou hast prepared for me, a temple, a dwelling place. But I want to tell you, Christian, this morning, as you begin to draw and worship and live for him, oh, I'm telling you, he's putting the bricks and mortar together. He's preparing a house for you. What a house that will be, friends. What a reception it will be, friends. Oh, what, 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 that hymn we sang. Oh, I, I see him one day in my home far away. Oh, Jesus, we would cherish the old rugged cross. We're not ashamed of it. We're not ashamed to worship. We're not ashamed of the presence of God. We're not ashamed of a little bit animated from time to time, friends. We're not ashamed of the message. We're not ashamed of the bloody horror and gore of the cross of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. It's neither vulgar, too fanatical, not hip. It's everything for us. For us Christians, it's life. It's health. It's peace. Oh, Jerusalem. If I forget thee, may my right hand forget her skill. If I don't make Jerusalem the chief joy, and it wasn't the city, friends, it was the God of Jerusalem. If I don't make thee the chief joy of my life, don't spectate anymore. Don't be on the outside looking in. Don't be a religious boy and girl, man or woman. Don't be looking like Michal, who end up joyless and barren all her life. 
The rest of the nation benefited from cake of raisins and meat and bread. Hallelujah. Oh, this morning, the presence of the Lord is rich and adds no sorrow at all. And yet you can have all the riches of this world and be sorrowful and mourning because it's nothing without him. And David knew it. It's nothing without him. I welcome the presence of God into my life. I welcome the presence of God into my family. I welcome the presence of God into these four walls here today as we congregate together. And I welcome him into the home, four walls of my home. Jesus Christ is the head of this house. Do you remember that? The unseen guest at every meal. The silent listener to every conversation. Why? Because it is his house. I leave you with this. just came to mind, but hopefully there's somebody. My boys, when they were young, went through the normal phases of, there is something under my bed, Daddy. There's a boogeyman there. There's something in the corner, and we'd hear a thump on the floor, and you run upstairs, and they're frightened. And they saw something, or shadow, or something. Maybe something they saw earlier on, or was told them, I don't know. And I'd always say to them this, I'd say, boys, who owns this house? They say, you, Daddy. I said, oh, no, no, no. Dad doesn't own this house. This house belongs to Jesus, because I gave it to him. Now, I said, there might be, demons might be outside there, and they probably are, but I can tell you one thing. They can never come in here, because this belongs to him. It's reality. I gave it to him. So when he owns the house, that's his house. Do you think a demon can come into God's house? No, Daddy. Exactly. Do you think he can sneak under your bed? No, Dad. Because Jesus is stronger than any demon. Father, we ask you this morning that we will not be like Michal. We pray, Lord, we will not be, Lord, so full of our own self-importance that we fail to humble ourselves as David did. Yet he was a king, a phenomenal man, and yet, Lord, he threw away all his image, he threw away all his kingly apparel, Lord, and it meant nothing. What meant everything to him was your presence, God. And I say this morning, Lord, it's the same for us here at Court Church. It's the same for me. God, I've been on nice beaches. I've traveled some, to see nice places. I've had some great food. I have some great friends. I've got great children and grandchildren. But yet, Lord, it's your presence is fullness of joy. And God, we rejoice that you're here with us today, Lord God, and that we don't need to spectate. We can touch you, Lord, by faith, and you can touch us. And I do pray, God, that we will not be men and women that become critical and pointing the finger when we see men and others around us who touched, Lord God, by your presence so much, Lord, that they may dance or sing, Lord. And when Ham said it this morning, I just knew this was true, Lord. Maybe dancing will break out in the house of God again. I pray it does, Lord. I pray it will be from a joyful heart, oh God. Not because Andy says to dance, not because the preachers say to dance, but because someone is so touched, Lord, by your presence. Oh, Jesus, I thank you, Lord. What a joy of the Lord is our strength, God. And Father, we bless you this morning. The pathway of life is your presence. Come on, stand this morning, just for a few moments with us to stand and just ask the Lord, say, oh God, fill me again with your presence, oh God. Fill this house with your presence. We're near the end of our service. We just want to honor the Lord for a few short more minutes. Hallelujah. As we worship him, as we bless him, abandon your own self-image for heaven's sake. Don't get so stuck with your own image. Just remember who it is that you are worshiping. Who it is that you're drawing near to this morning. And understand his invitation to you. 
I stand at the door, knock. Any man who hears my voice opens the door, I will come in and God is here. Now is the time for you to begin to acknowledge him and love him and tell him you love him and worship him and develop your own personal praise time with the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions at all, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.